Welcome back to The Coaching Bubble, where we explore all things coaching. I'm your host, Stephen Behan, and this show is for everyone, all coaches, all sports, from novice to elite, and we hope to leave you with some tips and advice from some of the most interesting people in the field. On today's show, we talk to Mary O'Connor. Mary is the CEO of the Federation of Irish Sport, as well as being a former Cork Jewel star in both Camogie and football, with 12 All-Irelands to her name. Mary talks about the importance of sport having a voice in Ireland and the value on volunteerism, her experiences on being part of one of the most successful teams of all time, and the influence some of our coaches have had in our life. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Mary, thanks a million for coming on the show. Uh, I know how busy you are, so those in GAA circles will know you as a Cork Jewel Star legend with 12 All-Ireland medals. Um, but your new job at the moment as CEO of the Federation of Irish Sport, uh, I suppose a lot of people will be a little bit unfamiliar with what that is. Uh, maybe you could give us a, a, a bit of a synopsis. Yeah, the Federation of Irish Sport has over 104 uh, members. Those members are made up of national and governing bodies of sport, or, or NGBs as we call them. So you have NGBs like the IRFU, the GA, Gymnastics, Swim, who are members of the Federation, um, as well as local sports partnerships. There's 29 of them in the country and 26 of them have, are members of the Federation. So it's a huge um, set of members that we that we look after and we provide services for. We advocate on their behalf to, to government as well uh, to ensure that policies that are produced by government are taking the account of sport and the value of sports to Ireland, not just in terms of physical and mental well-being, but also the um, economic uh, contribution sports makes and through sport tourism and obviously through sporting events as well. So it's a huge remit for the Federation and there's a lot of work to be done. Um, 25th of July saw the launch of Ireland's first ever sports policy. That's a huge piece of work and uh, the, a lot of the Federation's work will be looking at that policy to ensure that our members are, are catered for and catered for um, adequately. On a day to day, are you dealing with government? Are you dealing with the the um, the NGBs, the sports partnerships or to maybe talk us through like a, a an average week or something like that for you? Yeah, I think anybody who works in sport will tell you that there's no typical day. Um, sometimes work comes in instantly that you just don't plan for. Uh, but the Federation would have an operational plan. We'd have a strategy as well, which you try to keep to because we have a, a small staff, a very dynamic and hardworking staff that tries to ensure that we cater for our members uh, through the provision of services, but also that we uh, make contact with, with various departments in, in relative to policy decisions around sport. Another service that the Federation facilitates is Just Sport Ireland. So any um, national governing body or LSP that has a had a difficulty internally in terms of conflict that if it can't be resolved internally that they would come to us um, and we would have a panel of arbitrators and mediators to try and resolve that conflict. Thankfully, that's not as, not very busy, which is great because that uh, obviously our, our NGBs and LSPs are, are working hard at their own processes and procedures that are internal to them. But look, um, the Federation, we are very busy. Um, we've had four events this year, um, our, our sports conference. Um, we had over 320 people attend that conference in Trinity. We uh, brought over the CEO of Sport New Zealand because uh, sport in Ireland has always been I suppose, compared to New Zealand sport because of the similar population and uh, their appetite for sport. So that was a really successful conference. We also had our Sport Industry Awards. Again, to repeat what I said earlier, the need for uh, people to see that sport is uh, is great for the Irish economy um, and to reward those who are involved in sport from a sponsorship point of view, from a commercial point of view, but the sports themselves who are generating much revenue for, for, for the Irish exchequer. Um, another event that, we've had, that, we, that we will hold um, in 2019 is our Volunteer in Sports Award. 
volunteers in sport in Ireland. Um, sport to us would not exist without them. So uh, in collaboration with Sport Ireland, we're going to re-establish the Volunteer and Sports Awards to acknowledge the mammoth amount of work that volunteers do for sport in Ireland that makes sport happen. Would you say there's a lot of challenges facing Irish sport at the moment? Yeah, look, I mean, there's a huge amount of challenges and there's a huge amount of opportunities. And I think people who work in sport will tell you that they're very resilient. They tend to see the positive and they get things done. Um, and sometimes they uh, don't take the credit well or they don't, they're not given enough credit for what they do. And the big challenges at the moment is, is the governance side of the house. Uh, the sports policy has um, outlined that every national governing body of sport um, would have to have um, the, the governance code policy adopted by 2021. That's a huge amount of admin, admin work. And then on top of that, you've got things that came in this year into law like GDPR, um, which is an awful lot, um, an, an extra burden on NGBs that are already under-resourced in terms of staffing. And then you have NGBs around the country who are doing fantastic work that don't ha- do not have full-time staff. So it's a voluntary-led organisations. So we're very, very conscious of that and we're trying to provide workshops and services to support those NGBs and LSPs who need assistance on that front. But governance is a big thing. And that's that's already having an impact on people's ability to do their work, but um, also an increasing workload on admin as well. We would be very strong on, you know, sports capital has been has been great and has been welcomed in terms of buildings and infrastructure uh, and equipment supply all over the country. But we must invest in our people and our programs. So we must try and support those volunteers who are trying to do the work and trying to make volunteerism less onerous than it is at the moment. Going back to your own sporting career, you played both camogie and football for Cork. Uh, you were massively successful. The Cork football team, the ladies football team, is sort of a stuff of legend in terms of uh, you were the captain for the five in a row. Can you talk through maybe why you think you guys were so successful? I think it was a whole a lot of things that came together at the one time. We had a management team that were brilliant coaches, brilliant uh individual people as well I think that's important to point out that they were really really good people and obviously still are great people but in terms of coaching they brought that side that expertise as well their experience their knowledge um, and it was you know a full set of those individuals who came together with a group of players who I suppose I was probably the elder lemon of the team at the time when, when Eamon and, and Frankie and Justin and, and Mary Collins got involved and um, I'd been playing since I was 17 with very very limited success and then you had the likes of you know, the Breach and the Renas who had, who had a taste of success with Cork underage in football and we hadn't had much success underage but that generation came together with the likes of myself and Juliet Murphy and uh, Valerie Rokahi who had possibly won nothing underage with Cork and they just merged and we created a culture of, you know, we're all in this together and we'll never give up till it's over I think was our song and, you know, that Cork Ladies football panel had, along with talent, and, and athleticism, they had a really can-do attitude, a want-to-do attitude. They just, everybody was in it together. It didn't make a difference if you were one or 27. Everybody was as important as, as each other. And I think that comes back to Eamon and how he managed us as people and he managed us as players. And I don't think you can underestimate that. No player is the same. And he'd often come up with one-liners, which we would smile at now. But when you reflect and it's, uh, it's important, I suppose, to acknowledge, you know, that everybody has an ego. And at different times, it needs to be massaged. And, you know, he had a really, he was really good at spotting that if somebody wasn't in the best of form or whatever. You know, there's funny stories that we have of, he had a little butter box of a car, a small white car. Some Japanese import was tiny, but all you could see was the football's 
busting out through the windows of it. And at different stages, he'd come down through the year. If we were going through a bad patch, the training was hard and we weren't enjoying it. He'd drive down the field in the farm in, in UC and simply the best to be blaring out. We'd all kind of turn our heads and just start giggling, you know. So it's kind of set the tone. We took very seriously what we did. We had, you know, we knew that we had an opportunity to achieve. And when you taste success, you want to taste more success. And any player that came on then was just moulded in that. And I think anybody who left the panel like I did and the rest of the girls, that culture is still there, still embedded. The likes of Kira Sol is still involved uh, with the with the Cork Senior or Cork Senior team, and you know she's continuing on that. So look, we it was a, it was a fantastic time, but it's like everything you don't realise how good it was until it's it's over and you can reflect. You know, I read um, Mary White's book Relentless. I haven't read it. Don't tell her. Okay, <laughs> well, it's a very good read, but uh, Eamon comes across like so central to everything he did. But you mentioned there in terms of the players, a bit of a mix. So was that culture totally driven by by Eamon, or was it something that evolved between Eamon and the group of players that you had? Um, I think it definitely evolved, but, you know, some really great people are involved in that panel. And, you know, we bounced off each other. We always didn't agree. And up until that point there, until Eamon got involved, you know, club club and Cork was the first and foremost, you know, you know, certain players that's well documented now didn't sit next to each other. Certain clubs didn't get on with each other. And, you know, um, once we crossed the white line, you know, that club rivalry was massive. But I think when Eamon came in, you know, we just had that opportunity at training sessions to get to know each other and to chat and to say, well, you know, we're playing for Cork now. This is our club team. And I think that's the way we, we went and went around that. But, you know, great people, you know, great supports as well, great family supports. And there are parents of girls there now who are really great friends because of the journey they've been on that Cork panel. And it just it was it was just a fantastic uh, time in our lives. And, you know, things move on. A lot of the girls have, have, are married now and have kids and so on but they still reflect and you know chat and we still have the laughs and the crack about different things that went on and different experiences we had but for me that's what sport is yeah we we won all Ireland's and they were important we won national leagues we won Munster championships but you know even now I kind of sit in here and I kind of get a warm feeling so gee I was really lucky to be involved in that you know because I mean I had retired previously um, at 27 because I'd been playing football in the county for 10 years and I was just wrecked and you know I got asked for to come back and I, I jumped in it and I'm, and I'm happy I did now obviously because I won a couple of, Ireland, of All-Irelands afterwards but you know the All-Irelands are important but it's actually the experiences and the fun and the crack and the friends you make and the fact that you got exposed to working with someone like Eamon Ryan I mean he not just was a brilliant football coach but he was a great, brilliant person and how he dealt with players and he treated us and you know I think a lot could be learned from Eamon you know you did a bit of coaching yourself. You were games promotion officer with LIT and in Cork schools and stuff like that. Would you've brought a lot from what you learned playing into that, or had you much coaching experience before that? Yeah, I had been involved in my own club coaching. Um, I had coached say under eights and tens because I was I was only young myself when I started working in Limerick IT. I was only just touching twenty years of age, and you know at that time Limerick Institute of Technology had no facilities. You know there was there was pie ball ponies in the backfield where there's pitches now, and that's the truth of it. So I had to ring around GA pitches to see can I get uh, facilities and so on. And people in Limerick were great, but. I had experience of coaching, not massive. Um, I, in Killa, had trained under eights and tens, trained a few lads teams and so on. Not much success. Um, Yeah, but I mean, the coaching side of my house is something that I'd like to get into more, but the job at the moment is very demanding. But um, my coaching style would be very much trying to, you know, empathetic um, to to players because I think when you've been a player, obviously playing Camogie football, I was lucky enough that I had a talent and, you know, that sport came 
easy enough to me but you know I'm dealing with when I was coaching kids that maybe found especially the camogie side of the house the technical skills that just really hard so when I started coaching say the under eights I tried to look at the physical literacy first could they hop run jump skip throw catch before I'd give them a hurley because if you give them a, an 18 inch or a 20 inch hurley and expect them to be able to use it. And when they can't do all the other bits and pieces first, you're not going to really instill a love of the game. You're going to instill a hatred. And I would be a strong believer in that, you know, get the physical literacy right, because for me, that's where dropout starts if they don't get the right introduction to the game of Camogie in particular. And that's when they become conscious at 13 or 14 because they don't have those skills and the opportunities to develop those when they're five and six and to have fun. You know, um, I have a, a, an eight-year-old niece and uh, she came up to me last week and I was saying, well, how are you getting on playing the camogie in football? Because we're a rural area, Gaelic games are king. And she goes, yeah, I love the football, but I don't like the camogie that much. And I was like, why? And she goes, oh, it's very hard, you know, and I kind of started smiling and that kind of reinforced my my own thoughts. And, you know, I mean, she, she'll play away and she'll her dad is great with her or whatever, but... You know, I just think you need to look at the game of camogie and the technical skills that are involved. You need to get that physical literacy piece right and get the basics right before you even give them a hurley. Yeah, I think it's a really important message there. And it, it, what you said there about it being fun, like <laughs> how often do we see coaches when they just maybe get a little bit ahead of themselves and, and they're thinking about winning All-Ireland so with an under-8 and an under-9 team. So that is a key message about keeping it fun and, and working on the physical literacy, as you say. Yeah, like I worked for Camogie for 12 years and I was, went all over the country uh, promoting Camogie and trying to get, you know, educate coaches. And it's not like that I knew best, but I was just trying to say to them, look, success for a lot of the time is having 20 under-6s and still having them at 16, especially with girls because they fall off. And um, that's hard because sometimes the coaches with the best will in the world come in with, well, I'm training the under 10s and I'm training the under 8s and this is the way we're going to, rather than having a kind of a, a club, a whole club approach, that the 8 or 10 girls that you're coaching now are going to be needed for that under 18 team. Um, and I would say that in some instances, in some clubs, if they were a small business, they'd be gone out of business, you know, because they're not, they're the, 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 the loss of the hemorrhaging of, of girls from sport. And there's loads of reasons for that. But I really think the when you get them in the door, you have a captive audience, make it fun, make it enjoyable. And I was coaching girls, we used to go indoors for the first five or six weeks and there was no hurling. And I think some of the parents were thinking, is Mary confused? Was she coaching these girls? But I didn't want to bring in the hurlings. I wanted to have, have games of tag, you know, throwing the ball around, just tippy-tappy stuff, just to kind of have fun, get them interested in coming to the sport because the attention span of, of young kids now is getting less and less and their ability, obviously, to go out and to play isn't the same when I was growing up in terms of, you know, you know, the, developing this, the physical literacy on their own. So you have to try and have a man-made approach to that in terms of physical literacy, you know. You mentioned about the drop-off rate in terms of female participation in sport. Could you maybe expand on that and, and like literally how good are we? How bad are we? Are we getting better? Or what do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's kind of a it's a, it's worldwide uh, girls team sports. Um, I think in particular, it's a fall off of girls from team sports rather than individual sports. I think there's research out there that will say that girls tend to stay playing individual sports and there's reasons for that. They can have their own commitment time and they can work their schedule around, you know, those those um, those sports like running, walking, cycling, swimming and so on, they can do that. Um, I obviously would be a huge advocate of team sports because it teaches girls so much um, in terms of decision making, listening, um, you know, I suppose 
cooperation and, and teamwork and so on, things that they can bring in, life skills that they can bring into uh, their own work when they when they become old enough to work. But um, my understanding and my thinking around girls dropping out of sports goes back to the point made earlier. They have to be introduced to sport in the right way. It has to remain fun. You ask anybody who plays any sport at any level, if, there's no, if they're not enjoying it, they're not going to come back from it or come back to it. And I think that's important. Um, I also think that girls at, in t- at teenage years, they're going through an awful lot of changes in their lives. Um, you know, physically changes, emotional changes, and that needs to be understood. And I think a lot of the NGBs with the support of, of Sport Ireland coaching have, you know, looked at that side of the house in terms of how the uh, coaches are educated in terms of retaining those girls. And it's a slow process and, you know, every girl is different and every team, every sport is different and it's how you approach that. But I don't think there can be enough emphasis on, you know, those who are coaching that age group to be educated and to be brought up to speed and to what is actually acceptable now vis-a-vis what was acceptable 20, 25 years ago because, you know, girls playing team sports, uh, the option, the easy option for them is to to drop out. Um, So you need to make sure um, that they have a meaningful programme of games and engagement. So what I mean by that is some sports, because there's a hierarchical in that they might be able to play inter-county or represent their province or play nationally, that the girl who's just um, playing with their club um, might not get the same amount of game of time as a really talented player because she's off playing for two or three or four teams. So it's actually about the club. The sport might provide you with a meaningful, um, say, fixtures programme, but I think the club and the individual club and the individual sport, and in this instance, Camogie football, needs to provide a meaningful games programme. So you need to say, well, what's going to keep this girl involved playing Camogie over the course of a year so at each age group I'd be saying you know a girl at 14 should be getting at least 12 games a year and you'd look at the county board and this is not to blame a county board to say well the county board because of the makeup of the county the number of teams in the county we're o- they're only going to be able to provide maybe 6 to 8 games a year so the club have to say well where are we going to get the other 4 or 5 now I've come up with 12 because of work that I'd done previously with the Camogie Association as per age group Obviously in Camogie, some some girls can play up two years. They can play up to 16. So, you know, are you saying is 24 games too much for that girl if she's playing two sports, three sports? Possibly, but that's all about managing as well then. But I just think that a lot of sports focus on the really talented girl and the girl who's who's important to the club, who could become an excellent coach, an administrator, referee, or who just wants to play for a physical and mental well-being point of view, isn't being catered for. She's not getting enough games. And I think it's incumbent on the coaches and the clubs to say, well, how are we going to get all those girls um, enough games and exposure and also give them the opportunity to have a social side of that and that and respect the fact that they're not they might be ambitious to play for their county but they are ambitious to to play a sport and be part of a team and from that social side and that has to be respected as well because you know a team is made up of, of many things and uh, you know going back to Cork teams we had fantastic players talented players committed players but some of them were the real jokers and messers as well and some of them were the serious ones and the quiet ones and they all made up the ingredients to be a successful team and I think that can't be underestimated and I think there's too much focus on the really talented girl and she'll always be catered for and she needs to be looked after as well because she's the one that might have had enough by the time she's 17 because she can play so many age groups I think that's a reoccurring theme like in coaching one of the toughest things to do I think is to, to cater for the, the best player in the team but also the weakest player and people in the middle we, we keep talking about it on the show here but I think the more and more 
sort of awareness that's there the, the better coaches will be able to deal with that Yeah and I think the, the team becomes more resilient as well like I mean we had a club team where there was a few of us playing inter-county and the manager at the time he used to just pick the team and say for instance if I was a centre-back in Camogie he'd put he would pick the same five he wouldn't move the wing back in so then I could just slot in so the number five and number seven would be still playing in their positions in the challenge games as they would be in championship like, and that's important as well but I can't under, like can't say it enough like the coaches have a huge responsibility anyway but they have a responsibility you know to play games without their, their star players at times because they know what they're getting there yes I understand about team cohesion and stuff and systems and all that and processes but I think you need to get those players game time they're coming to training for a reason and that's to play games and I think you know modify the game make it 13 aside 11 aside it doesn't always have to be the 15 and 15 and sometimes you learn more if the game is 13 v 13 anyway for players There seems to be a lot more emphasis on the ladies sports in terms of the GAA with the camogie and the ladies football with the bigger attendances you've got the sponsorships that seem to be pushing ladies sport in a big way with with, uh, Liberty Insurance and Little Woods and Little being involved do you think that's that, that raising awareness is a big thing in terms of keeping girls playing? Absolutely. I mean, people want to be associated with what's popular, what's fashionable, what's cool. Um, you know, I suppose growing up where I grew up, you know, we always saw ourselves as members of the GA. Um, I saw myself as a member of Killa Camogie Club, of Inch Ladies Football Club. But did I necessarily see myself as a member of the Camogie Association or a member of the Ladies Gaelic Football Association? So it's about joining up the dots for players to ensure that like they're part of something bigger and big believer in role models um, for young girls they need to be able to see um, those players so they can aspire to being um, an inter-county player or being the best that they can be even within their own club so um, I think yeah it's, it's obviously of vital importance and you know the LGFA and the Camogie Association have made great strides in the sponsors that they've got the television coverage is massive as well you know, obviously the fact you've got social media now, anybody who goes to a game can be a journalist. You know, they can report on the game. I could go to the game as just as anybody and just say I'm at the game and this is what's happening and so on. So there's a huge amount of work being done on that. Like Sport Ireland have been leading the charge on women in sports since 2004 um, in terms of programme funding, um, educating, uh, trying to raise awareness about the importance of women in sport. Even the sports policy I mentioned earlier on in the, in the programme, you know, one of the... Uh, underrepresented gradients in that is women in sport so everybody's aware of it um, it's a tough nut to crack there's been a lot of uh, uh, countries all over the world have, in, have in kind of put an awful lot of money into women in sport but essentially it's about making sure that there's visibility there that when big events are on that they're attended and that the coverage however it's done through social media print, television that that is maximised when big events are on because you know I would like my nieces and my nephews to be aware that there are girls out there who are technically really good at their sport, um, who are athletes and who um, are good role models. I'm going to bring it back to coaching for a second. You talk about role models twice there. In terms of women being involved in coaching, like obviously in the men's game, you don't see it too much, although you see Mags Darcy in with Wexford Hurlers now. But even in the women's game, you don't see that many female coaches on the line. Is there barriers to that to, to them getting involved? Do you think, or I'm just wondering, like, 
do you need role models out there for people to aspire to? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a, a, a good shout. I mean, look at refereeing as well. You know, female referees in Gaelic games are few and far between. They're an endangered species. And the same with women coaches. I mean, Anne Downey has been ploughing alone for her for a long time in terms of being um, a female coach. And just, there's probably, you could do a thesis on this, but there's a couple of things. Obviously, you know, players who play the sport, it's about trying to make sure there's a pathway for them once they transition out of playing so that they're approached to come back get involved in the sport in whatever which way they feel is suitable to them as people so you could be a referee um, a coach an administrator because you have to remember that these people have probably given a lifetime of playing the game and they might need some time off just to reflect they you know they might have other commitments work commitments professional commitments travel commitments family commitments and it's how you get them back involved in and how you actually support them on their pathway to get to where they want to go because not everybody's going to want to be an inter-county manager but um, some women might want to get involved in underage coaching and so on and there's an uh, there's a really important piece that is forgotten in all this a lot of the coach education programs that have taken place you know some of the coaching courses are, are mixed and you know some of the research that we did with Camogie before I left was that sometimes women just want to go to coaching courses with women um, and just because obviously there's an intimidatory piece and, and so on and I think when the Camogie Association went 15 aside back in 99 there was a huge influx of male coaches into Camogie which is, is not a bad thing I'm not saying but what I'm what I'm saying is it probably did lessen the reliance on women to get involved in Camogie then and I think the reason there was an influx of men in 1999 is that it was a 15-a-side game men got it because up until that time it was it was 12-a-side um, and I think you know there's a huge amount of, of inter-county coaches now who are obviously male and um, but I think if we're serious about trying to get more women as managers at, at inter-county level or even at adult club level, they need to be given a pathway that they're supported on. And like we're always talking about talent IDing players and supporting players. We need to talent ID our coaches as well. And look at players who are transitioning out of playing sport. Can we get them back involved, even if it's county underage squads, 14 squads or 16 squads? Because you'll find that those squads, there's a certain time commitment rather than maybe a whole year commitment from a, a senior into county uh, Camogie Lays football squad, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting in, in terms of having a coaching pathway as well as, well as the, the talent identification for the player. I think that's something, I think, I think that's something we're getting better at in Ireland, but we still have a way to go. Um, just want to bring you back one thing you said earlier about the tools uh, that team sports and, and Camogie football has can give people for other parts of their lives. Have you would there be many stuff that you would have learned as a player that you've brought into like professional life and stuff like that? Yeah, I think I probably would be doing it subconsciously. I mean, there's different things that, you know, you see and you how people handle different situations. How maybe Eamon might have handled a conflict situation or, you know, that kind of, you know, I would definitely rely on that from my memory and so on. But look, I mean, from my point of view, in the work that I do now, you know, you have to try and maximise what's that, the, the talent that, that you have yourself or the talent but in your team. And also then as well, does you know you have to negotiate, you have to be able to listen, and I think team sports uh, teaches that you have to listen, you have to be able to take instruction, um, and obviously you know adhere to a system and so on. So all those little subtle things that you probably don't think about when you're playing, are uh, probably do come into into um, a work environment. But for young players, I think it's very very important because they feel part of something. 
Um, more and more now in, in society, people seem to be totally invested in, in social media and in their phones. And, you know, sometimes a like on Twitter is a validation for that young person. And, and that's kind of sad for me. Whereas if they come down to the field and play camogie and football and you've got a coach who tells them directly, you know, good kick, good hook, good block, good shot. That's better for them. And I think that even for them to hear from their teammate and for them to give it to their team to give compliments to their team and I think that's that's better and that's why sport is so important in society and I think the more and more girls in particular who get the opportunity to play sport at whatever level and are experienced are ex- exposed to that type of environment is better and there's a big responsibility in sports to have coaches that when they're coaching that they have that communication um, uh, worked out in their head as to how they're communicating with girls of that age of, particularly of, of teenagers you know Sport is not just about the medals or whatever, it's about what it can give you in life as well. Yeah. Um, look, you've been brilliant with your time. We have three uh, quick questions that we ask everyone who's on the show. So first one is, uh, what does the term successful coach mean to you? A successful coach to me is somebody who maximises the talent and attitude of people at his disposal. The best book or resource that you re- would recommend to any coaches maybe listening? Look, I think coaching is an individual style. You know, people dip in and out of coaching books. But look, I mean, I'm a big reader. There's books that I would recommend coaches read, but read them in the context of the camp, bring them all in. And the the key is to remember when to utilise different things you read and when it's appropriate and when it's not and what's the context. But Sacred Hoops by uh, Phil Jackson is a really good book. Um, The Mickey Hart book, uh, Presence is the Only Thing. And the uh, James Kerr legacy about the All Blacks is a really three good reads, and you know, just as a coach, rather than kind of giving any, you know, just a good, good pieces to have in a stockpile in your head, and they can be referred to and go back to, and different situations arise in those books. And but I would just think the key is sometimes you know you see coaches and they go into county coaching sessions and they're watching that, and they try and bring them back to the club, and the skill breaks down. You can see the coach is kind of saying, why is this? drill breaking down and the reason the drill is breaking down is because they're not into county coaches or they're not into county players so you know you go into county coaching session you come away with all the drills and that's great but when you go back to a club you have to understand that there's a real cross section of players in that and if you're putting a drill out there that's not really that, that all of them are not able to do then you're going to have frustration because it's going to break down so there needs to be you know a comprehension of that you know yes it goes back to what you were saying earlier about catering for everyone yeah um, and the last question what would your top tips for a developing coach be? Top tips for a developing coach for me, I suppose, would be to always be open to learning. Um, if there's coaches that you admire, to ask, can you go along and just watch a session? Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. And I would say, don't, forget, don't be afraid to try things out yourself. And you know what? If you've set up a drill or a, a game-based situation and it's not working out the way you had it in your head, call it in and start again. We had Eamon Ryan, who was arguably one of the best coaches I ever had. Uh, there was probably a couple, Massey Barr being from Dunmore being another. Um, but he was often call us in, right lads, that I made a hymns that we'll start again and pull a piece of paper out of his pocket, look at the next drill and we'd go again. Because he, we all bought into what he was about. And, you know, his ability to be vulnerable and that, you know, he had set up a drill, it wasn't right you know, allowed us to say, and say, well, if we make a mistake, that's okay too. And you don't underestimate, you know, you don't have to be in control all the time. You know, the players respect you, you know, if you show a small bit of a vulnerability as well, you know. Mary, it's been fantastic having you on. You've given some great insights into life lessons that sport can provide and how you can bring them through to professional life. Thanks very much for coming on. 
thanks for listening to the coaching bubble i hope you learned something that can help your own coaching in some way anything referenced on the show like books or podcasts if you follow our twitter page at bubble coaching we'll put everything up there you can find us on soundcloud we'd love some feedback so feel free to leave a comment or a review once again the show is brought to you by the coach education and development center of the camogie association thanks for listening till next time